Hi, this is Roger Green, host of the Surfing the National Tsunami podcast. We are offering three conversations from our wrap-up episode for last week's fourth Global Nash Congress. This conversation focuses on the path to widespread adoption for the range of non-invasive diagnostic tests coming into market and into focus. This aligns with thoughts about precision medicine and, in general, how widespread change will be and how fast. Six of the seven people who participated in our coverage had things to say about this topic. Each one makes an appearance in this abbreviated recording. So, sit back, listen, enjoy, learn, and, when you're done, join the conversation on our LinkedIn and Facebook discussion groups. Last week, close to 175 stakeholders from across the global fatty liver community convened to hear 43 speakers address a range of NASH and NAFLD issues at the 4th Global NASH Conference. Join hepatology researchers and key opinion leaders Professor Manal Abdelmalik, Drs. Naeem Alkuri and Ian Rowe, liver wellness advocate Louise Campbell, pricing and forecasting guru Roger Green, and GenFit Global Diagnostics leader Sunil Hosmain as they review key issues and concepts that emerged from the Congress today on the Surfing the Nash Tsunami podcast. I love what you're saying, Sonny. You know, Roger, I know it sounds crazy to say we can say goodbye to biopsy in 2022, but what it takes is a leap of faith that we can do it without. If liver biopsy had higher complication rate, I promise you we would have moved away from it just to save lives, you know. It just we're used to doing biopsies and liver disease, and this has been a limiting factor. So I'm just going to give you an example. Just today from my clinic, I saw a patient with the liver stiffness of 22 kilopascal on fiber scan, ultrasound showing splenomegaly and recap analyzation of the umbilical vein. Platelet count is 139,000. So in my mind, this is cirrhosis. I don't need much. But we sent her for a clinical trial. I got the biopsies showing F1. I mean, do I really believe this biopsy? I don't. Am I going to follow this patient as high risk? I will. So biopsy is, is not the ultimate decision maker for me because everything else is pointing in a different direction. Biopsy has issues. So you have to be open-minded that the gold standard is not great. It's invasive. Uh, we have a lot of data. Um, I know FibroScan has issues, especially in the severely obese population. I know that we have issues with serologic markers. You need to understand the false positives, false negative, the disease prevalence, all of these things. Uh, but I think when I have multiple non-invasive biomarkers showing me the same thing, even if the biopsy doesn't support this, I'm not going to say, well, the biopsy is king and I'm just going to follow the biopsy. For this patient, she's high risk. I would treat her with medications. I think we just need to have confidence to say, hey, we've generated enough data. As Sunil said, if we have the data from Gilead, Intercept, Madrigal, that should be enough to show that these NITs have their own prognostic values. And I want to ask you, Sunil, a question. I mean, if we use your test, I think we have good data to predict fibrotic NASH at baseline. But what are the plans in terms of assessing response to treatment and prognosis? What data do you have and what data are you generating? We have far more data on the prognostic question than we do for the monitoring. And that's only because... 
all we have data is from Golden, and you need the true positive control, right? So <laughs> I need I need to see movement. So I need I need to have more data to to make that comment. But from a prognostic standpoint, we I did exactly what I, I said here, which is I wanted to look at baseline stratification. So I know my patient. I stratify them based on score. Does that mean something? You know, is there a higher likelihood of progression over some fixed period of time, be it a year, a year and a half? And the data that we had so far said that. Now, granted, we were looking at advanced fibrosis only because we wanted more N. We want to repeat it for cirrhosis because that's that that's closer to what we want the end goal to be. So that you know the probability of progression, if you were in the highest risk strata, was around fifty percent in the course of one year versus seven percent if you're in the indeterminate score zone versus three percent. So seemingly it's meaningful. It putting people in the different score strata means something. But we want to explore that and resolve it. Like I said, for anything else, like I want to see this replicated in data outside of our hands. I want to see it in independent studies because then you know whether you have something real or or is it an artifact of, of your data set. That's why we're so happy that this test launches because we can begin to kick the tires on things and, and see where does it do well and where does it fail and, and you know make the appropriate adjustments. So we've looked at other studies too. I think ELF has that capability as well. For that matter, FIP4 has that ability too and NFS too. The only issues that we saw with NFS and FIP4 is you, you just miss a whole slew of patients. So when when FIB4 puts you as high risk, you are high risk, guaranteed. That 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 means something. It's very difficult to get into the high score strata, but many people who are high risk don't get put there. And, and that's the issue. How do you find all those people that you've missed? And I think that's where some of these other NITs can add value to what uh, FIB4 and NFS are doing. They're not bad tests. They just need some support. I mean, it's a fascinating conversation, really, because progression to cirrhosis is as much a surrogate as some of the other histological changes that we're measuring and the prognostic value of an NIT at baseline in a trial, you know, that predicts progression to cirrhosis really probably just predicts cirrhosis at baseline. And it was the biopsy that was wrong in the first place. The proportion of true progressors, if you like, you could take Naeem's patient that he described, if you biopsy that patient again, you'd be quite likely to find cirrhosis rather than F1, F2 or F3 the next time. And so if we're talking about validating a non-invasive biomarker against a surrogate of histology, then I think that might be quite a difficult conversation. I'm still not sure how much further it takes us from baseline prognostication. There are two different needs. One is in the clinician's hand. You know, I want to know what the baseline risk for my patient is today, starting treatment or entering surveillance for complications. And then there's the drug development need, which is I want a biomarker which will predict that this drug is doing something useful in terms of improving how a patient feels, functions and survives. You know, they are they are distinct issues. And I think we're there for the first one with almost without question, except for the issue that none of the non-invasive tests will accurately diagnose NASH. Good for fibrosis, but not so good for NASH. But in terms of prognostication against outcomes, you know, I'm quite happy to use the tests that I've got. Very rarely, if ever, need to do a liver biopsy to determine whether somebody's got cirrhosis or not to try and understand what their outcome is going to be. I think that's a really interesting answer, and it crystallizes a couple of things. The, the 2022 question is as much about regulatory agencies as anybody else, that the inertia of agencies is likely to rule out a 2022 walk away from biopsy because the things that would lead them to walk away would be proof of outcome and this is a slow-moving disease 
for either markers or drugs available that will immediately overthrow the whole system. If the drugs aren't coming until 2023 and the new tests are not going to be able to provide that level of outcome guidance because what are you going to measure them against if you can't get to outcomes fast enough? Then it's hard to envision overcoming the inertia necessary for regulatory agencies to get past biopsy that quickly. Manal, I don't know if that's what you were based on, but I know that was my thinking. This whole discussion just fascinates me. And I got to refer back, and I'm kind of smiling here because uh, many of you who follow this field know Vlad Ratu, and he was just so poignant in his depiction at this last NASHTAG meeting of saying, you know, we got to function like a cult. I mean, you're either going to believe that these non-invasive biomarkers are going to perform as well and, and move away and be part of the biomarker cult um, and and invest in them as a field in the same way that we've hinged and hung ourselves on biopsy being the be-all end-all. But if we were to really hinge and hang ourselves on a different standard, we would allow ourselves to propel forward in a manner that it, in fact winds up by sheer need and necessity and belief belief, uh, replacing really as equal a surrogate and performance as, as many of these biomarkers were talking about. He was so tongue-in-cheek that it, it got, you know, a little bit of a chuckle. But in, in fact, he was very astute and I believe very poignant in his depiction of where we are at this crossroad between the biopsy and some of these surrogates and really a, a relatively equitable misclassification rate when you think about it, uh, given all some of the limitations, both, both sampling and, and interpretation that we otherwise have with biopsy. So I was reflecting on the the discussions at the NASHTAG meeting and, and thinking fondly of, of my colleague Vlad Ratzio and his depiction. Okay, this is the second episode in a row this has happened. Vlad's going to come on sometime in June or July and talk at length about making the transition from having been a um, believer that biopsy was what was going to happen to his uh, Talcyon cry to lead the cult. Couldn't agree with you more. And Louise is smiling because we were in an episode with him early in the podcast where that wasn't exactly where he was coming from. So we've, we've watched this conversion happen in real time. To people who aren't researchers, but, but people who treat patients, kind of lay treaters, the one thing you would advise that they take away from that Congress and our discussions that they might think about doing differently or looking at differently, what would that one thing be? I mean, I think it'll be uh, to look at all these diagnostic biomarkers and pathways and develop their own pathway depending on what they have access to. So if they practice in an area with very limited resources, even implementing something like the FIP4 as a first step, I think this would be really important for primary care physicians, family physicians, at least to think about staging the disease and trying to identify high-risk patients. Just looking into the resources available to them because, you know, many radiology departments have technologies to measure liver stiffness. They don't advertise it. So sometimes the providers are not even aware that they implemented RFE on their ultrasound machine. It doesn't have to be always the, the latest and greatest technology. Uh, I think this would be the message for people who are not heavily involved in research. And just to go back to the to biopsy, just the last thing, myself and Manal and Vlad and our friend Mazen Nourdin, we're doing a webinar to ASLD on challenges and trials for NASH, including the issue with histologic challenges and how we can utilize NITs to design trials without biopsy 
biopsy. Do you have a date for it for for our listeners who are ASLD members? Do you have a date for that? Yes, it's May nineteenth, and it's a webinar, and I think it's free registration, so anyone can register and listen in, and we'll take questions. So you know, I highly encourage you to attend and be provocative and challenge us on the points that we will be making. But the premise of my talk is that we need to think about alternatives. I don't want to give away the punchline, I guess. So stay tuned. I think COVID has changed the landscape, obviously, for everybody. And I think if I wanted people who were not hepatologists to take away anything from what we're talking about in this meeting and non-invasive technologies, biomarkers, is actually, and particularly in the UK, to demand access to them. I think we have very limited access outside hepatology specialist units to things like FibroScan, to a lot of the blood tests. A lot of primary care physicians don't do full blood screening for liver disease. They don't do ALT, AST, so we're missing part of the ability to use FAST if we had it. And I think the time for endocrinology and cardiology to start ruling out fatty liver disease as a risk in their population is coming to the fore post-COVID with all of our joint patient comorbidities. And I think people need to now demand access to non-invasive technologies which are cost-effective and become more cost-effective the more access they get to them. So that's what I'd want people to take away. They're available. Let's start using them. Yeah, I I, I think we just need to keep on keeping on. The, the field is evolving. We need everybody who's involved to be committed in doing their due diligence. It, it astounds me how much progress we've made even despite COVID. So the field hasn't been stunted and it hasn't been stalled. So uh, I'm excited as to, while I think it's optimistic, the time trajectory that has been proposed in the upcoming two years to see some really innovative switches to diagnostics and therapeutics available. To return to what Louise and Naeem have said, it's probably doesn't matter what staging non-invasive test you do, just do one. You know, we're we're probably quite close to the ceiling of, of their prediction against liver biopsy in terms of global performance. So it doesn't matter what you do, identify those patients at high risk, but don't, don't having done that, don't neglect their comorbidities and make sure that they're managed. I would like to suggest that we try to divorce diagnostics from drugs, that I believe one of the reasons that people aren't motivated to diagnose more aggressively is because they ask in the absence of drugs, what is there to do? And the two papers from Suzanne Norris and Yashira Zelbersaki, I think, made the point, as Louise has emphatically to passionately, as long as she's been on this podcast, that there is much to do. Many patients can can self-treat if, in fact, you give them the right tools to self-monitor and self-motivate, that people will do better if they know they need to do better. And we shouldn't let the idea that lots of people only want a pill and we can't give them one right now to get in the way of doing the diagnostics that are available. I think divorcing those two things will be the greatest single motivator to get practitioners to use non-invasive tests because now they know why they're doing it as compared to simply for hypothetical. I think it's just pick something and do it. Just do something, you know, like uh, rather than, you know, try to boil the ocean for the best recipe and all of that. I think that all comes with 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 uh, with experience. Right. So unless you start using things, getting a feeling for them, you're not going to get better at anything. Um, so um, and I also agree just from a patient perspective, like um, sometimes you may have a sense that something is wrong or you may have a sense that you're not feeling well. 
it's very, very different. I mean, for those of you who have an Apple Watch and you use it, right? You you know when you've been lazy and when you've been sitting, but when when 7 p.m. rolls around and you see none of your rings closed and you're like, oh my God, what what have I not done today? Um, it it sometimes can can light something and you may go out for that little run or that little walk and and try to try to do something. So in that light. Um, information is very powerful and if you just do something and 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 can communicate that to your patient um it'll start uh, a series of events and you won't get you won't get everyone but if you can touch just even a handful of patients that's improvements we hope you've enjoyed this recording if you have any questions or comments about the content of this conversation or the entire episode please send an email to questions at surfingnash.com or join the discussion on our uh, linkedin and facebook discussion groups We'll be back next week with a new episode and fresh content. Hope you'll join us then. Until then, stay safe. See you on the podcast. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye.